In these tumultuous times, chaos is preeminent. Misinformation is rampant. Confusion reigns supreme. However, there is a light in the darkness. Voices in the vast cosmic silence. Yea, though a vast cultural wasteland threatens to tear apart the very fabric of our existence, like so much shredded wheat, especially after it's been sitting in the dome for a while, there exists a possibility of redemption. The wisdom of the ages in teeny, tiny, bi-weekly doses. The geeks explain it all. Okay, kids, welcome to another fun-filled, fact-filled episode of the Geeks Explain It All. I am your host, Stratosphere. Across the uh, Wayback Machine for me is my co-host, D-Dub. How's it going, everybody? And this episode, we are going to be talking about a man, a legend in sci-fi circles, to some, anyway, and a gentleman by the name of Irwin Allen. The Master of Disaster. Yes, he he definitely did a lot of interesting things on very low budgets. He's kind of the Roger Corman of TV, if you will. In a manner of speaking, yes. He he maybe was not quite as cheesy as Roger Corman had a tendency to be, but I guess in certain aspects he was even cheesier. But I do. But uh, let's let's get into that later. Okay. So basically, the way we're going to do this, we're going to talk about he had six series total that he had for TV. Uh, the last two I don't think we're going to mention because they really... They don't count. They don't count. They weren't sci-fi oriented, but just for the record, they were The Swiss Family Robinson and Code Red, which was, uh, a, I believe, a medical show, and it had Lauren Green. I couldn't even begin to tell you. It was probably one of those things I never bothered to watch. It, all I know is it was a medical show, and therefore, my mo- even though it was probably only on one season, I know my mom watched it because she's heavy into medical shows and uh, was probably was probably disappointed when it got canceled. I At the time, I had no idea it was an Irwin Allen production. Well, you know, he has done a lot of stuff over the years that, well, we'll get into that. Okay. But basically, I want to start with the, the ones, of the, of the four uh, sci-fi-oriented things he did. From the 60s, we should add. From the 60s. So you got to, you, you know, you have to have that be a mitigating factor that, you know, the 60s were... Had had their own special brand of cheese, but we're gonna go from what, in my opinion, are his his lowest up to the best. So, what this is my call. I'm gonna start with Time Tunnel. Now you see, I would have to disagree with you on that. Um, I'm going to open before we even really get into the discussion of the Time Tunnel or any of the shows themselves. Irwin Allen, he makes some of the best pilots I've ever seen. The shows never, ever live up to the promise of the pilot, however. I haven't seen all the pilots, so I'm going to rely on, on your sage wisdom and judgment for that one. Okay, well, like, for example, the the time tunnel pilot. Right. It was, I 
want to say it was two hours long. I've seen it a couple of times. Okay. Because I'm almost. I know. I know you don't much care for the show, but I own both volumes of the DVDs. Well, let me put let me put it to you this way. I downloaded. I, I basically kind of did the old uh, dartboard thing. I kind of picked uh, two episodes at random, and I literally couldn't get past the first ten minutes on either episode. Okay, and just I'm just curious, which episodes were these? Um, some th- one. Of, I'd have to look it up. One of them was uh, something fell out of the sky. The space fell out of the sky. I think was the name of it. It's not ringing a bell, and I don't have a nose in front of me. But continue. And the other one, gosh, I'm totally struggling here to. Do you remember what the? Uh I remember in in the one they show up in. I believe it's. In, I want to say Russia. Okay. And it even though there's a huge sign with the Cyrillic alphabet, it takes them literally like five minutes to figure out they're in Russia. Well, I am, I will say this much. For being two scientists going through time, they don't seem like they're real bright. Yeah, there is... Uh, I, think per, I think perhaps before we, get, before we get too far into a discussion of the show itself, should probably go through what the premise is. Operate, or Project TikTok is a government program uh, to master time. Because as Doug Phillips, the head of the project, says, the mastery of time is potentially the most important thing mankind would ever do or some crap like that. Well, on the surface, I can kind of agree with that concept. Now, we have a senator that comes in in order to try to shut him down unless they can actually send somebody back. So Once again, executive meddling rears its ugly head. And so we have young, impetuous... Tony Phillips. Uh, that would be the turtleneck guy, right? Yeah, turtleneck guy, James Darren, sends himself back. So the other one goes back with him, and they are then linked and traveling through the corridors of time. Yes, and basically turning somersaults in what looks like a light show. And, okay, there are a couple of things about this show that do kind of, okay, I, I know I try to watch my language, but it really fries my ass. Okay. <laughs> okay, doesn't matter what they're wearing at the end of any particular episode when they jump and go through time again. They, they're wearing the exact same clothes. Yeah. It, the it, turtleneck and the suit that the one was wearing when it went back in the pilot yeah, to the Titanic. Yeah, and and it's it's always pressed, too, I might add. So That's right. Apparently, time has a great dry cleaner. And uh, one of the first shots is Robert Colbert. <laughs> Uh, Doug Phillips always stands up, loosens his tie. Oh, okay. Again, you're you're, you're far more devoted to this than I. I, I must give you uh, snaps for that. Well, I always loved the show as a kid. Uh, was a very big fan. And up until the point to where basically the Silver People or the Irwin Allen aliens started yeah, showing up. I was gonna up. say they they started adding aliens into the mix. I do I do kind of remember that. Yeah, you know, they start throwing stuff like that in there, and I continued to watch, but it got a little rough. One thing I think is worth mentioning, and this this goes back to the kind of the original topic of the show, is that in one sense he was a mastermind, Erwin Allen, that is, of as far as saving money 
because the the whole raison d'etre of the show itself is that they could use all the old footage from all the old historical movies. That's right. That that, that particular studio put out, which I yeah. believe was 20th Century Fox. Yeah, I believe it was. And so, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, for for the budget they were given, that's brilliant. Because they only need six actors on stage, and then they just cut away to Custer's Last Stand or something. I read that they literally had only one actual set built, and that was where you know the lab where the time tunnel was. Everything else was old. You know, they 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 go around uh, 20th Century Fox Studios and just go to old backlots, and oh, okay, we got some. Roman columns here. Let's do a Roman episode. You know, we've got we got some abandoned storefronts. Let's do a gangster episode. Uh, well, that's pretty much what it was. There was actually another episode where, th- at some point during World War II, there was a scientist for the Germans that created basically his own time tunnel. Well, guess what? They just reused the main set. Wow, recycling unto itself. Uh, yeah. I, oh well, this this is the twenty tens. We don't call it recycling. We call it repurposing. Oh, that's right. That's right. But, uh, okay, we're repur- repurposing time tunnels. Okay. Because, you know, a time tunnel is a horrible thing to waste. <laughs> and, you know, of course, it has to throw off. Sp- every every one of his shows, man, explosions and things throwing off sparks. That's and, I, and, and I always love Irwin Allen explosions because they always... The explosion happens, and then people react. Like, if there were an explosion in real life, you'd, you'd be knocked on your butt, like, instantaneously. It's always explosion, shower of sparks, little mini mushroom cloud, and then people get knocked away. Yeah, and all of his explosions, or at least the ones I remember, <laughs> it looks like something you'd see in a, in a half-assed magic show. Oh yeah, it's it's all like flash paper and stuff like that. It's it's hysterical. But again, this this goes back to the original point: cheapskater visionary. I think it, it, I will say, especially with time tunnel, the the overhead for this show had to be next to non-existent. Well, a lot of a lot of it actually went into the creation of the main time tunnel set, which was supposedly enormous. I don't know. It didn't translate well onto the small screen. I'll I'll say that. Well, I saw a documentary on it. Yes, it was on one of the DVDs. They said the thing Good took Lord. up two sound stages. Really? Yep. It it just doesn't it doesn't translate well to the small screen. And you know, really, uh, okay. And once again, back to the original point. Let's talk visionary. This show was Quantum Leap before there was Quantum Leap. Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, I I can't. I mean, it, you're other absolutely than, right. Other than they they went through time and they were basically themselves in these anachronistic costumes and uh, Scott Bakula's character basically inhabited the body of someone in the past but the concept of the show being bounced through time it's it's identical it is and you've, uh, got, you've got somebody back in the present that's trying to guide you through you know it, it, okay and here's the thing oh boy <laughs> okay they're back in the past and you have you have the whole command crew in the quote unquote present. Right. And okay, let's say that something's happening in the past and let's say in 20 minutes one of them was going to get shot in the head. Okay. 20 is it's they're treating it like it's 20 minutes in their time too. They have literally as much time as they want to figure out 
the solution to the problem and to let them know in the past. They have more than just 20 minutes. As God is my witness, I never thought of that. <laughs> wow. And and this is your favorite of these shows, is what you're telling me. Okay. Well, you see, another thing, it has possibly one of my favorite B-movie kings in it as a general. Hit me. Whit Bissell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he was a classic from, from the I 60s. Mean, Angry Red Planet, I remember he was in that. Well, you see, I figure any B-movie could be made better by a heaping helping of Whit Bissell or Sebastian Cabot. Yeah, and, you know. Uh, the odd Raquel Welch here and there, and you're you're gold, man. <laughs> See, there you go. And on our sister cast, where we do it came from beneath the drive-in movie. Now we, <laughs> if we want to figure out ways to improve it, you say we need more wit. We need more Sebastian. Yes, a dash of Raquel would do nicely. <laughs> See, but, but I do have issues with Sebastian Cabot because I I can't get past the whole family affair thing. Uh, well, meet your friends. I know, Uncle but he said, he did a couple of Vincent Price, Roger Corman films. Plus, he was in the Rod Taylor Time Machine. Sebastian Cabot was in that. Yes, he was. God, I haven't seen. At the very I haven't beginning. actually seen that in years. So at the beginning, and you see, you see what I just did there, folks. Brought it full circle. Yeah, yeah. See, you think we don't know what we're doing? Think again. Okay. So, any uh, any other enlightening? Uh, moments you want to reveal on Time Tunnel because uh, as sometimes these guys they're supposed to be geniuses. Yes, okay. it's established that the pilot episode, which again I have not seen, gets sent back to the Titanic. Okay, he actually goes up to the captain of the Titanic to try to explain what's going to happen. And okay, the beginning of his explanation is, Captain, you don't understand. This is the Titanic. And just for the record, the captain of the Titanic was played by Michael Rennie. Really? From the, yes, day, it the, was. the day the Earth Stood Still? The day the Earth Stood Still. Wow. So there, that's some credibility. I, as I understand yeah. it, he's uh, he was a hell of an actor and very well liked throughout Hollywood. Oh, he was very much so. A, you know, and I have to say, my wife is not a big fan of science fiction movies and that, or at least not ones that are little off the mainstream. Right. But she did sit down and watch The Day the Earth Stood Still with me. Not the Keanu Reeves, the Michael Rennie. Don't ever mention Keanu on this show ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Just ever, okay? I don't want to hear The Matrix. I don't want to hear nothing about Keanu. Here's you know, what you need to know about Keanu. Whoa. Okay, that's it. Every movie. See, dude. Most excellent. See, now, I'd if you were to do comedy again... I'd actually watch that. I thought he was great in this in the, the few comedy <laughs> things. But, okay. That's okay. Not, not the key. Out. Okay, so I love the time tunnel. You're mm-hmm. kind of lukewarm, can't even. I, I don't I don't hate it, but it, there's just too much to pick apart to really enjoy it. As I said, the two episodes I kind of downloaded at random couldn't get through 10 minutes without the whole premise just seeming just beyond absurd. Well, it's one of those suspension of disbelief. Sometimes you just got to check out from what's really going on. Yeah, okay. But anyway. Now, moving on, and I know th- we, we talked a little bit off mic that this this would have been your worst to start with, uh, Land of the Giants. <sighs> and you know what's funny? I At one point I worked for the cable company. Right, I remember that. I actually had my own office in the cable company. Okay. And one thing about if you work for... The cable company. 
there's TVs everywhere. Right. I'd get back at, toward the end of my day, and I'd be sitting down and doing paperwork, and I'd turn on the sci-fi channel, and what would be on? Land, Land of the, the Giants. Giants. I don't remember them ever running that, but okay. Well, it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. You know, I'd work till 4, so I'd get in about 3 o'clock, start doing paperwork, and mm-hmm. there it would be. And while I don't totally dislike it, I remember really loving it when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, of course, I was probably the target audience for it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know the premise. And, and again, we have to go back... <laughs> We have to go back to recycling footage. Right. Like, there's a scene with this cat. Yeah. Th- that th- showed up in tons of movies, including The Incredible Shrinking Man. Oh, okay. Uh, the The episode that I downloaded of Land of the Giants, it had a killer um, groundhog in it. Uh, oh, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and it, it made just the most god-awful noise. It, it was really weird. I like the premise of Land of the Giants. My main problem with it is that the action is just so slow. The The plot moves along just so lethargically. And I, I feel like they're, they're taking a storyline that should only take like a half hour. And they're, they're just putting footage like that in. They're, they're padding this thing royal. To, to come up with an hour-long show. Again, th- this is what Erwin Allen is good at, is coming up with you know, supposed brilliance on a shoestring budget, finding ways to cut corners, and I felt like he was definitely doing that there. Well, I know that some of the background, I, I won't say necessarily the background, but when they would delve a little bit into the giant society, so to speak, yes, it was actually very much a fish... Uh, Fascist state? Yeah, a totalitarian society. That's that's what I was... Now, mind you, it has been years since I've I've seen any of this. But I'm, I'm this time I'm kind of a... Just, all right. Model work in an Irwin Allen show is usually somewhat decent. Yes. Um, I mean, the ships, they're distinctive. Right. I absolutely freaking hate the spin, the spin drift. That's yeah. the name of the ship. Right. It is it's ridiculous looking. It, it is a bit ugly, I'll give you that. It looks like a damn duck, duck mask from uh, some Disney movie or it, something. It does, I'll give you that. Here, Here's something to ponder. Chew on this for a while. Now, you say you've watched Sci-Fi Channel. And yes. If you've seen some of the things that Sci-Fi Channel, and if you've, if you've watched something like, say, Falling Skies on TNT... Actually, I have not seen any of Fallen Skies yet. Wonderful, wonderful show. I've seen I, lots of promos for it. So. It's it's j- like a hair shy of awesome. They're doing it so right. It's suspenseful. It's action-oriented. There's a lot of human story to it. I, I can't praise it enough. It's, it's currently arguably like my favorite show. Okay. It's, it's being done so well. And again, I've seen a couple of the things, uh, not not Paranaconda, but I mean, there, there's been some stuff on uh, sci-fi that... Okay, I'll be honest, probably about the only two sci-fi movies that I saw, I saw Megasnake. Okay. The only reason I saw Megasnake was because Feedback was in it. Feedback. Feedback, winner of first season of Who Wants to Be a Superhero? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you told me about that. Yeah. Okay. And then I saw, I think it was called Lightning Strikes or something, the okay. one that had the diffuser in it. Oh, the okay. S- season two winner. All right, all right. 
But anyway, I, I would argue that with modern sensibilities and modern technology, I think they could redo Land of the Giants, and I think that'd be a kick-ass little little show. I really, really do. I think it would... It, but see, here's the thing. Nowadays, everybody's had to step up their game. You have to write a show that has actual good dialogue. You know, I call it the David Mamet effect. Uh, the, okay, I'm not familiar with the name. David Mamet wrote Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh, he did the show The Unit. Crackling dialogue. And okay. just, just really, you, you, you watch his, his stuff and it's like, God, I wish people talk like this in real life. It, it's just, his dialogue just, just crackles with, with energy. And I've seen, since, since he came on the scene, I've seen a lot of shows have, especially dramas, have really stepped up their game as far as, you know, not having stupid people on camera and making actual plot points that make sense and drive the plot forward. And I would like to see sci-fi or TNT, I'd love to see someone do a redo of Land of the Giants. I, I think it would really, really fly. I could definitely see it. Uh, I mean, I mean the, pre- the premise of them going, uh, not so much them going to a, a giant planet, but the fact that everyone speaks English there, that, that, that is kind of off-putting because you, know, you don't have the universal translator of Star Trek fame. Well, true, true. Or but if they do, it's not mentioned at any point. True, but then again, they would. You know, you need something to kind of uh, drive the plot forward like that. See, I think if they were to redo that, I think they would actually not so much insult the viewer's intelligence by saying, "Yeah, okay, it it comes in as the alien race speak, the giants speak gibberish, and have a." You know, a plot point of somebody working on a translator program to try and figure out what they're saying. You know, they they would do it much more. What if this actually happened? Type of thing, not just okay. You know, we're we're, we're building huge sets and having lot you know normal sized people in and making them look. Or you could take yet another tactic with it. Okay, hit a me. Twilight Zone tactic. Remember the Twilight Zone uh, episode, The Invaders. Ah, yes, with Agnes Moorhead. Arguably her finest work. She didn't say a word. <laughs> no. Uh, matter of fact, true story. I, I'm a huge uh, Zone fan, as you would well know. I have my copy of the Twilight Zone Companion, and they talk about every episode in there. And true story, when she was cast in it, she read the script like three times and called up to complain to her agent. He says, what, that's like the best story you've been offered? She goes, I've been reading it. I can't find my part anywhere because she has no actual dialogue. It's just, okay, the, the old woman goes up to you know the roof. The old woman hits the spaceship with an axe. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, I definitely, well, I, obviously Land of the Giants probably had its roots in that episode. I, I wasn't even trying to make that connection, but as you were talking about rebooting it, that's you know it just popped into my head that that would uh, be an interesting twist there. Yeah, you if you were thinking that this was Earth and these miniature people had had invaded there, you know you could kind of have that for your your season one cliffhanger to find out that you know and just have every all the signs like in shadow 
or whatever and just offer glimpses and then either, either at the end of the first episode or the end of the first season reveal wait a minute they're not uh, these are the earthlings well you see and here's the other thing in doing my research for this um part of the reason they couldn't get their ship back where it came from was because their technology was roughly 50 years ahead of the giants yeah even though it's a totalitarian society uh it strikes me that a lot of what's on there is actually kind of backwards from what they... Uh, at, at one point in the episode I saw, this guy walks through their forest where the, the ship has crashed, and he basically looks like Heidi's grandfather, and he's you know he's got the, the lederhosen and the, the whole thing, and he basically lights his pipe and throws a match and almost starts a, a forest fire, and uh, it... It just looks very, very backwards, and this is... But somehow, it's my understanding they know of Earth on the show. Yes, and there's actually a couple of points where... Um, let me think here. The the main cast actually could make it back to Earth, but right. that would mean that the Giants would also be able to get to Earth, so they destroy the apparatus or whatever, thereby making sure they can't get back. Right, which... I can see where they kind of, if you think about it, they kind of painted themselves into a corner because, okay, the whole plot thing week to week is them trying to get back. Well, now you've just established that there's no way they can ever go back. Well, other than them dying, where do you go with it then? Well, there was mention of other ships that had made it there. Yes. None of the crew survived. The, the episode I watched had Glenn Corbett from Route 66 as like an astronaut that had also crashed nearby and he had been living like almost a caveman existence and he was very he was very mistrustful and you know he he winds up getting killed by a a, a spider at, at the end sacrifice sacrificing himself to save the boy well you know and speaking of the boy that's another thing that showed up in several of his shows he had the boy and the I don't know if you want to call him the outsider or the quote-unquote bad guy character that developed right, a relationship. That, that was a common theme. And this goes back to something you said a few minutes ago. We were, you know, at the age we were, we were obviously the target audience, and I think that's the one thread of all Irwin Allen's sci-fi shows, except for Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, that they there was definitely some wish fulfillment there. It's like, have, have the... You know, you know your your young boys are the ones that are watching this. Well, have have this be the fantasy of oh yeah, they're you know what what are they acting out in their heads? You know, identifying with him. Oh sure, I mean I'm I'd have to imagine that all across the country there are young boys that were playing Land of the Giants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they, and I don't know if they were playing Time Tunnel, but you know. <laughs> well, I was such a spaz. I did. God, I worry about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so... so um, Land of the Giants, I, I will agree, a, as it sits. Um, not not a strong entry, al- although I think the, the premise, as you said, maybe the pilot was a lot better. Now, th- I will say, I did not see the pilot on this one. That's one of the ones I downloaded, but due to time constraints and work constraints, I didn't get a... Sh- but I, I intend to go actually look at and see how... Uh, I want to see if your pre- premise is true that the pilots are excellent and then it goes downhill from there. 
Well, maybe excellent. He does a good pilot as well. Okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll buy that as a premise. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next one, next best in, in his sci-fi panorama. Also the longest running of the four. Really? Yes. Okay. Uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Which ran for four years. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then that would be the most because... Time Tunnel was one season. Land of the Giants was two. Yeah, and just to show you the state of science fiction in the 60s, Star Trek got canceled. Land of the Giants got an extra season. Yeah, well, technically speaking, not not to get too far off base, Star Trek, uh, the third season was an extra season because that that due to fan reaction. True, true, true. But, and then Lost in Space had three total, as I understand it. Correct. And... While you're mentioning the state of sci-fi in in the '60s, I I, ha- I cannot let this go without mentioning another show that was not an Irwin Allen production, and I was actually shocked to realize that it wasn't an Irwin Allen production. And what would that be? The Invaders, a, oh, Qui- a Quinn, a Quinn Martin, Martin production right, with Roy Thins or Thines or I don't know, no idea. But uh, yeah, didn't watch it a whole lot because it it seemed very much like the X-Files of its time. It, it had a really deep backstory, and if you if you weren't watching it regularly, it was really hard to follow. Honest to goodness, it was one of those things, that, at least in the area around here, it was basically the science fiction equivalent of Maverick, because Maverick would show on a Sunday afternoon where there's nothing else on. Yeah, but I love Maverick. Well, I, I love it now. Back then, it's like, come on. Can't they, give me a Star Trek. I don't care. Give me anything but Maverick. Well, that, that's true. Maverick was what you sat through on the weekend until they got to the Wild Wild West. Exactly. Exactly. I, I totally feel you. And I was kind of that way with the Invaders. <laughs> okay. Uh, like I said, it, it, I'm going to stick with my analogy. It very much struck me as the X-Files of its time, in, in just in terms of, okay, there's all this backstory and there's all this mythology with it, and if you miss an episode... You're you pretty much have no idea what's going on. That that's my main memory of it as a kid. Right, and this is back in the days for our younger listeners before DVRs and tape, to where if you didn't see it, you either had to hope that it didn't get canceled and would show up again, or you really that was it. I mean, let's face it. In, in the '60s, we really didn't even have. I mean, Betamax had not really come on the scene at that point. Nope, it, one it, of the great. I, uh, really, it's like when you were in school, one of the greatest days ever was when they rolled in the TV with that great big videotape thing on it. Yeah, and you thought, wow, if I had something like that at home, boy, the things I could do. And we're, we're not quite at the flying cars of the Jetsons, but you look at some of the computers today and it's like, boy, we've we've got some stuff. Hey, I look at my phone. My phone has more memory and a better processor than my first two computers combined. As same here, same here. Okay, well, getting uh, like I said, I just had to mention the invaders, j- just in case any any of our listeners were thinking that we were omitting that it's not an Irwin Allen production. Although, if you were to watch it side by side with the other ones, you might think because of uh, the overtones and the the general um, cheesiness. The cheesiness, yes, that's the word. But getting back to Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Um, I'll tell you, the the one thing, I, I really didn't watch it a lot when I was a kid, even though it was the longest one, but I'll tell you, to this day, when I'm watching anything and I hear that bong, bong, that sonar sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it it just takes me back to watching that when I was a kid. That's that's probably yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, that that sonar sound. I I don't care what I, I what I hear it in what what show what movie. Automatically, I, just for a second, I flash on um, the what wh- what is the ship again? The Sea View. The Sea View. Yes, I'll, automatically I think of the Sea View. All right, now this this show is a perfect way to demonstrate the thriftiness of Mr. Allen. Go for it. This actually was originally done as a wide-release movie called, surprise, Voyage to the Bottom Bottom of the Sea. Had Walter Pidgeon, Peter Lorre, Frankie Avalon, Barbara Eden, and also had... Barbara Eden's wife, or husband at the time, Michael Ansara. Oh, okay. Uh, I've watched the now, movie. Now, was it, was that before or after Genie, or during? Uh, well, let's see. The show started in '64. I think the movie Probably was before. possibly '61. Yeah. So probably before then. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Uh, who, who's not a huge Barbara Eden fan? God love her. I even liked Harper Valley PTA, but I digress. <laughs> Don't even get me started on Harper Valley PTA. Okay, so uh, the movie, the basic plot of the movie, somehow the Van Allen radiation belt caught fire. It was causing, hey, nobody said the science in these movies was great. It was the 60s. Yeah. You know what they say about the 60s? If, if you remember the 60s, you weren't really there. <laughs> okay. Um and Admiral Nelson, and that's a dynamic I'm going to go into in a minute. Admiral about Nelson Major Healy? <laughs> decides the only way to put out the flame is to fire missiles from basically the deepest point of the ocean. Okay. The, uh, probably before Mary, Mary the Mariana's Trench, yeah. I was going to say. Was, was that actually discovered back then? I, thought I believe was. it was. Oh, okay. Uh, I could be wrong on of course, the location. We know about it on Geeks Explain It All because that's how we roll. <laughs> but supposedly fire these missiles and it would put out the fire. Incidentally, it did work. The world didn't burn up. But the sets, the sea view itself, about the only thing that didn't make it over were the actors. Because we got Richard Basehart and David Hedison. Also, uh, David Hedison of The Fly fame. Well, you know, the funny thing about... The original fl- the, the Fly. The funny thing about the whole David Hedison, Captain whatever his name was, I don't even know. But uh, I just know they kept calling him Lee. He's the captain of the Sea View. Right. But it's obvious that Admiral Nelson is the one calling the shots. Yeah, in the, the one episode... his boat? The one episode I, I did watch, uh, I definitely, uh, yeah, he's supposed to be the captain, yet th- this other guy is pretty much in charge, which technically, you know, he outranks him, so I, I, I guess that would be the protocol, well, but the, the the problem is, you know, that's kind of disrespectful. It, it's, a, it's a lot like Kirk in the first mo- Star Trek The Motion picture. It's it, him kind of, you know, bogarting the, the command, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Nelson is the creator of the Sea View. Right. So, you know, it's his boat, his sandbox, so whatever. 
Now, the episode that I watched was, I believe, was it just the first season that was black and white, or was it the first? It was only the first, it was the first season. Yeah, that's the episode that I had, for research purposes, had downloaded, and not, I mean, it, it really came across as more Cold War spy than a, a sci-fi premise. Now, it's my understanding when they got to the color episodes, they really started going off the deep end with leprechauns and all kinds of weird stuff. Killer clowns and stuff like that. Oh, don't tell me about killer clowns, dude. Uh, there was some, I, I seem to recall, and I could be wrong, and if any See, of our... See, now I'm not going to want to watch it, because yeah, I, I don't want to risk seeing killer clowns. If any of our audience <laughs> can dispute this... I, it was like clowns at the Arctic. I remember somehow Richard Basehart got frozen. Um, I mean, really, the first season. So they'd be killer clownsicles. Hey, there you go. Uh, I mean, really, the first season, a lot of Cold War stuff. A few sci-fi elements. You know, there was sea monsters. You had aliens. I mean, mainly it was like foreign governments and crap like that that's the overall tone i got i i said i I was actually i actually enjoyed it a lot more than i remember doing so as a kid it just kind of didn't interest me but i really enjoyed watching the episode that i i downloaded so i think i'm gonna go back and kind of pick through some more episodes and really get more of a feel for it because i i did i actually like i said when i was a kid not not really a fan but I think the production values on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea are some of the best Irwin Allen ever did. Well, not only that, but I think that a lot of the... I think it was actually geared a little bit more toward a slightly more adult audience than some of his later work. Well, you, did, you didn't have the young boy figure in oh, there. Oh, that's very true. And, now, and just for reference purposes, we'll call James Darren the young boy figure in the time tunnel. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Captain, this is the Titanic. Duh, really? Um... Yeah, now, in the second season of Voyage, they went to color. There's also a few little changes because they brought in the flying sub. Right. Which kind of expanded where they could go. But if you look at the front of the sea view, once they put in the sub, originally the sea view had eight windows in the front. Okay. After they put in the flying sub, it only had four. Well, I mean, space had to come from somewhere. That's true. It, it's interesting... Uh Correct me if I'm wrong. Now, is is it either Star Trek Voyager or, or Enterprise that basically had the same type of thing? They had one ship, and then suddenly they they added like uh, a remote. Or no, no, it was um, Deep Deep Space Nine. Uh, yeah, they, they added. I think it was called the Defiant. Yeah, it was a l- little browsed about type. Not not really a shuttle, but. Uh, it was it, it was the same type of thing. They had uh-huh. your, your your standard vehicle, and then because they realized they had kind of painted themselves into a corner, uh, riding wise, they decided, hey, let's go let's go a little bit mobile, and you know, try and get some more storylines out of that. Well, you know, adding the flying sub, it it really, like I said, it expanded their worlds. They could have a few other adventures. I know there was one where it got where something got swallowed by a whale. I don't know if it was the flying sub or what. Um, um. Now, season three was actually, it actually ran concurrently with the time tunnel as well as Lost in Space. Now, this is where really the legend of Irwin Allen and his cheapness 
really came to the forefront. Yes, because he, he did, as you, you call it, repurposing. He repurposed actors, he repurposed sets, he repurposed uh, costumes, you name it. He, you see an alien on one of the shows one week, and basically the, the person in that alien costume would leave the set of one, they'd paint him. Yeah, they'd, they'd, they'd basically put different color paint on him, and there, there's your alien for that one. So, uh, again, in, in one aspect, it's like, God, what a cheapskate. But in another aspect, my God, that's brilliant. Oh, <laughs> that it is. But, um, yeah, but I mean, they did really start getting, I mean, by the end, they just really got really out there with this one. Like I said, I think they, they had leprechauns and all kinds of stuff like that. I, I definitely got the impression that, the, the uh, and I've actually talked to a couple people like I, that I work with, and the, the unanimous consent is that the black and white season was, the quote-unquote, the good season. Yeah, that's pretty much everything that uh, that's everything that I've read on that. Okay, so now now we're up to my favorite, and 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 why is it my favorite? Because well, basically we're we're I use the criteria that we use on on, on our sister cast came from beneath the drive-in theater. What does the eight-year-old in me think of a particular uh, thing and? The eight-year-old me loves Lost in Space. I it, it's I don't care that it's cheesy. I freaking love it. I wa I was only able to get uh, had time to watch two episodes. One one was the one where they had they had these they thought they had come to a an actual like Earth colony, and it had Doctor Smith with like long hair as a hippie. Was this the one that like the alarm would go off and all everybody would get up and start the dancing? dancing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I don't care that that is so cheesy and so trying to capitalize on the whole hippie movement. I lo- the eight year old of me is literally once. I mean, I used to sit cross-legged in front of the TV. I'm sitting at my desk watching this, and I want to sit cross-legged because that's how you watch Lost in Space. Well, I'll tell you, um, I got married in Florida, and, like, I want to say the Friday before, I went down to this convention they were having downtown. It was like the big Superman convention. Even when you got married, you had to find a convention. Sad. (laughs) Well, you know what? Uh, Hey, the night before I got married, (laughs) I saw Batman with Michael Keaton. That was my bachelor party. <laughs> okay. But uh, Bill Moomy was down there. Oh, he, okay. And, you know, I was never a huge, huge Lost in Space fan, but I always loved the robot just because he was so freaking cool. Yes. Um, and he got up there, and he just started telling stories about the production. And yes. It was just fascinating stuff. When I was downloading the episodes I was watching, I, I, I think they're from the DVD sets, and I... Also downloaded by Happenstance interview with Bill Moomy and uh, with Jonathan Harris. And, yeah, Bill, Mo- Bill Moomy told a great story about Bob May, the, the robot. Oh, okay. I've heard a couple of these. Th- this one's just fantastic. Uh, Bob May loved playing the robot, even though he didn't actually do the voice. Dick, tu- right. Dick Tufeld, I believe. Tufeld, yes. Yeah. But uh, he loved playing the robot, loved the role, lived for it. And apparently Bill Moomy and... Mark Goddard, who played Major Don West, 
they decided they were going to play a prank on him because he's in this robot costume. They basically left him on the set and they... They broke for lunch, didn't they? Yeah, they broke for lunch and didn't tell him. Well, they they come back and they see smoke coming out of the, the robot thing. And they're like, oh my God, what happened? He, he, he must be... Maybe something... One of the wires got crossed. Well... They go in there, they open up the back of it, he's smoking a cigar and reading a copy of The Hollywood Reporter with a flashlight. <laughs> now, I heard another... That's a great story, man. Well, I heard another one about Bob May and the robot, where um, the way the way uh, Mumi told it, like, you know, when they'd have to take it up a ramp or something, they had a rope or something to... I believe they it. had a cable t- yeah. uh, pulling him up, yeah. And he said, you know, and we're all running on board the ship. We're probably running from some freaking space carrot or something. And Yes. And they're pulling it up. They pull too hard, and the robot falls over. <laughs> and they're like, oh, my God, he's he's probably crippled in there. And they, they get him out of there, and he gets out, and the first thing he says, don't worry about me. How's the robot? Yeah, yeah, th- that's... I. These stories are all great. Well, yeah. here's a, here's another great one. Uh, you were mentioning Mark Goddard, who played Major West. Yes. After a while, they knew the quality of the scripts were not all that great. Right. There was this one script called something like The Great Vegetable Rebellion. Yes. And Mark Goddard quoted, I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty damn close. And, you know, I studied acting with Straczynski for seven years. And now I'm sitting here talking to an effing carrot. Yeah. Uh, the, by by the third season, it, it had gone totally off the deep end as far as silliness. Although, um, you know, I will defend to the death that the, the third season theme song was light years better that, than the original. Oh, absolutely. And it didn't use that, um, what do you call it, that, uh, that other hallmark of Erwin uh, Allen, like the weird animation, like... Well, and why? Really, why I don't like it because the the sequence that they show in animation is like them all in spacesuits, like attached to this lifeline, and they never really showed that in the actual series. So I kind of felt like it was a a, a little bit of uh, false advertising. Well, yeah. Now you know one thing I do have to really give some credit to. Uh, you want to talk about an actor truly making a role his own, Jonathan Harris. God, I, I wish you were still alive. He's he's an amazing man. I mean, the way Smith was originally written, and I remember you saying something about not liking the pilot on this one because well, Smith I, was I, more I, of a badass. I actually did find out he wasn't in the original pilot. Correct. Which is actually, in, in a roundabout sort of way, is what led to him being listed as a special guest star in every single episode. That's right. They said, well, we have everybody already listed, and we can't list you with the regular cast and they went back and forth so they decided on the special guest star yeah but i told you i had gotten a uh interview with both billy Mooney and with jonathan harris and he quite well spoken obviously and he makes the point that he he, and he has quite a, a list of characters he's played he's all he's almost always played villains but he says in this interview, uh, Dr. Zachary Smith, my favorite role, Be- because I made that role. It w- well, he said what was on the, the, pr- the printed page was snarling villainy 
and snarling villainy is boring. And I basically decided to take another tack, and they they kept coming up to me and saying, it's good. So that's what I did. Oh, yeah. Uh, They'd get their scripts, and, you know, Bill Mooney would learn all his lines, and then Jonathan Harris would pull him aside and say, okay, now we're going to rehearse it with my new lines. I mean... And in just a delightful little footnote, I actually read from several sources that Jonathan Harris used to lie awake at night trying to think up new insults for the robot. (laughs) I can't even begin to explain how much I love that fact. Well, let's see. Never Fear Smith is here. That was his. You bubble-headed booby. Oh, the pain. You, I I mean, God. You ninny. Yes, yes, uh, and here's here's a little analogy. I don't know if you call it an analogy, but a comparison, if you will. H- have you ever considered the fact that both Jonathan Harris and Vincent Price are actors that almost everybody probably thinks of as British, and yet Jonathan Harris is from New York and Vincent Price is from St. Louis? You know, I never really thought of Jonathan Harris as being uh, British at all. I mean, Vincent Price, yeah. but Yeah, but, but I'm saying that in terms of... The, the the neo-Shakespearean acting of, of them. The, the, the master thespian. Master thespian, yes. And, uh, you know, they, they've got that just, I mean, just swallowing the scenery. I mean, they're, 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 they're total <laughs> they're ham actors of, of the finest order. And yet, even with that, that hammy, over-emoting royal Shakespearean, you know, the type of stuff Patrick Stewart does actually, you know, naturally. Right. But... Neither one of them is even slightly British. Like I said, Vincent Price is from St. Louis, Missouri, and Jonathan Harris is from New York City. Well, you know, a funny thing about uh, Jonathan Harris, too, when they made the Lost in Space movie a few years ago, yes, a lot of the original cast did get cameos. Right. They offered Jonathan Harris the role of basically the guy that sells out Smith. Okay. And he told them, that's very nice, but it's eight lines, and I play Smith, or I don't play. Gotta love holding on for artistic integrity. Well, you gotta figure at that point, too. He was pretty far along. I mean, I've seen some pictures of him I, from I have, that too. Time. Yeah, he, he deteriorated. Uh, so did so did uh, Guy Madison. Uh, he, uh, Guy Williams? Or Guy Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, before he passed, uh, he was in... Pretty bad shape too, is my understanding. Well, now Guy Guy Williams, I think this was his act, his last his last acting credit because I believe he moved to Venezuela after this. As either Venezuela or Argentina, but yeah, somewhere in South America, he basically retired. Probably you know you know from playing Zorro because I know that was that was his prior right. you know, major credit exactly. before then, and I just kind of i saw some of the you know they kept doing uh reunions for conventions and stuff and i i saw one on angela cartwright's homepage, and it was like the last one before they lost jonathan harris and guy william or yeah guy williams and yeah they they both looked like crap i mean and it's so sad because they're actually uh i you know the story you told about mark mark goddard I had heard some stories that Guy Williams was also very much like Robert Reed on the Brady Bunch, kept fighting for more 
better quality scripts. And well, not only that, but part of when it came, there's a number of theories about why the thing got canceled. And one of the things, just the ego started getting so bad. Guy Williams, it was he had to have so many close-ups per episode. Really? Yes, and that's expensive. Uh, yeah, because you're using a completely different camera then. Now, you know, just talking about things being expensive, too, the interior of the Jupiter 2 at the time right. was the most expensive TV set ever made. It cost more than the bridge of the USS Enterprise. Really? The set of the Enterprise. Yep. Uh, my note says it cost $350,000. Well, for the... Was it the mid-60s we're talking? Yeah. Uh, I would say that's that's pretty over the top. That's pretty big oh, budget. Oh, absolutely. You know, what, I mean, I mean, they had a lot of talent involved with this. Uh, even, like, looking at the music, John Williams did a lot of the music for it. Yes, and he, he's credited as Johnny Williams. And you, <laughs> you got to love that. Yeah. There were was, there was some pedigrees involved. Angela Cartwright was in The Sound of Music. Yes, she was. Played Brigida. Probably, and, and I know this is totally oversharing, I would say Angela Cartwright as Penny Robinson, probably the first star crush I ever had in my life. I, <laughs> I so wanted to date her when I was a kid. And the, the, I didn't even realize by the time I was watching it, she was actually like, you know, 10 years older than, than that, you know, than, than she, by the time I actually saw it, because it came out like, you know, basically we were like one or two. And... You know, by the time I was watching it in reruns constantly, it was like, you know, six, seven years later. So, oh, sure, sure. But, uh, yeah, oh, Angela Cartwright, awesome. <laughs> and and, and I, I have no shame. You know, my my wife likes Patrick Duffy. I like Angela Cartwright. It's oh, a, I take it she watches the New Dallas. Loves it. I I, I I can't follow it. It's a thing with her. She's she's literally got like at least three seasons of the original on DVD. Totally a fan. Well, you know, considering that they ended that one that one uh, season of Dallas, and it was all a dream. Oh, the one where where they do kind of a reverse. It's a Wonderful Life, and Joel Gray is the devil. I would no. I oh no 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 wait! Oh, you're 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 talking. Bobby comes out of the shower, and the last yeah. season was all a dream. Yeah, yeah. And then then they then in later episodes they reference stuff that was in the dream as having actual actually occurred. Well, you yeah, know, pretty I, sloppy writing. And but it wasn't even Irwin. Now, okay, just more talking about some of his thriftiness. He never really. He tried to get a couple more science fiction shows on the air. He actually did one called City Beneath the Sea. Okay, not familiar with that at all. It had uh, Stuart Whitman as like an admiral in it. Okay. Also had a lot of cast from a lot of his other shows on there. Again, he, he was the he had, king, king of repurposing. He had both of the guys from Time Tunnel, James Darren and Bob Colbert. You had uh, Richard Basehart from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea playing the president. It, it's almost like the Irwin Allen players, isn't it? Bro. And the very first shots from this whole thing are the flying sub from... Voyage to the bottom Boy, of just, the sea. Just, just shameless, isn't he? Oh yeah, and there was an evacuation scene where not only was a flying sub in there, the sea view was in there as well. Wow. And needless to say, it didn't be. It didn't make it. Okay. They ended up showing it as I want to say like an NBC movie of the week or something like that. Okay. They showed it a bunch of times on the weekend movie, the infamous weekend movie. Yes, I. 
I don't remember that one. I, I'll be completely honest with you. I maybe because it seemed too much like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and as I said, at, at that age, I it just wasn't holding my interest. But hindsight being twenty twenty, I'm I, the one episode I watched. I I kind of want to check it out more. So yeah. Also, there were sets from his various other shows that did make it into that as well. Okay. Uh, there were some Lost in Space sets that made it. I believe part of the main the main mission area from Time Tunnel okay. was in there. Well, I'm, I'm sure they used those computers in the, that was in the main lab in Time Tunnel. They, they had to have used those for a lot of different shows because oh, they, sure. they, they sure look familiar. Heck, they probably ripped them out of the wall of Jupiter, too. Yeah, I I would say that's probably true. Okay. Um, and uh, just one other thing I want to mention as, I don't know if you call it a footnote to his career, this is also the man that was responsible for two of the biggest grossing movies of the 70s, and that being uh, The Poseidon Adventure and The Towering Inferno. Right, but he's also responsible for, what was it, Beneath the Poseidon Adventure or Beyond the Poseidon Adventure? Yeah, but, um, well, again, recycling, Angela Cartwright was in that. Oh, really? Yes. I, I looked that up, and I was like, damn, now I, w- now I have to see it, because it's Angela Cartwright. <laughs> <laughs> Angela Cartle- Cartwright before she let herself go. Well, this, no, this, w- this was all, okay, I know what you're saying. Well, she's, she looks better now. I, I've, I've seen her, her, current, her current website, and, yeah, she got a little... Uh, Set in her ways, shall we say? But I think she's she's looking a little more healthy now. So well, you it's know, a, it's I mean, all good. I, I was always a fan. Still I would love to have lunch with her. If you're listening, Angela, I my, my you're you're on my freebie list as far as my wife knows. So <laughs> I'm gonna die for that one. I may edit. Oh, that that's out. okay. My my wife's freebie is uh, Johnny Depp. Okay. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna follow Thumper's rule. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Just for the record, uh, for the longest time, mine was Dana Delaney. Uh, China, China Beach, Dana Delaney. Oh, I was going to say, I, I like Body of Proof. I actually like that show. I haven't really watched it. But, you know, it's a funny thing about when you get that, uh, what do you call it, the freebie? Anytime they show up in anything, you're always being made aware of it. Yes, 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 that is very, very true. Okay. Now but, that uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention about um, Poseidon Adventure and Towering Inferno because... Uh, yes, and he did not do Earthquake, folks. He, a lot he's of people off, think he did. He's often lumped in with that because that was a big trend in the 70s, the, the so-called disaster movies, and he gets unfairly lumped in. That was our, that, I've seen all three of them, and Earthquake was without question the worst of them. I actually watched the Poseidon Adventure on AMC... About a year ago, and boy, that thing holds up. Let me tell you, it most certainly does. I'm. I actually I'm, got my my daughter was watching it with me, and she was riveted for the whole movie. I mean, she's she's like, when did this come out? And I showed her, and she's like, I've seen other movies from that time period, and they're pretty crappy. This is really a good movie. Oh, he. I mean, when he really put his time, attention, and the budget to it, he was a darn fine uh, filmmaker. And it's it's really weird because they they redid Poseidon uh, Adventure twice. Twice. Yes. Okay. I only saw they the did a TV movie and then they did a uh, theater release one. Oh, okay. I I saw one of the remakes, but I you know I was thinking, and this is just kind of a, a sad comment, is that you know really you can't redo the Towering Inferno. You just you just can't. 
because of 9-11. Well, that's very true. You, any attempt to do it would would be lambasted by just about everybody. Oh, sure. So, you know, it's funny. I don't even I can't even really recall seeing it showing up on uh, any of the movie channels rotation. I, I I doubt seriously you ever would. I think you'd you'd have to like find a copy on eBay or find one of the. Uh, shall we say, underground methods of uh, downloading that I particularly specialize in. And uh, I think that's the only way you're getting a copy of that one because that it, it, there's just, it's it's too soon, I guess. Maybe maybe 100 years from now if everything... You know, and I remember seeing The Towering Inferno in theaters. Oh, I did, I did I too. really enjoyed it. It was really, again, uh, when, when the man had time and a decent budget, I think he was actually a pretty darn good director. Absolutely. So. A needle pulling thread. <laughs> Back to Sound of Music. Angela Cartwright. Which Angela Cartwright. See, Every, I'm just six, a one-track mind today. Say, six degrees of Angela Cartwright. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, what's the website? The website is geeksexplainitall.blogspot.com. And the email address geeks explain it all at gmail.com. That's right. Send your thoughts, show ideas, and we'll, we'll take complaints. We're we have very delicate egos, but you know we'll we'll, we'll try and persevere. Adversity Perfect. builds character, you know. So tune in again next time when our uh, subject is going to be the first in a series. We're going to be talking about the different ages of comics and we are going to be starting off with the golden age of comics and if you have a particular favorite if you're if you're that old and can remember the golden age of comics and aren't looking at what is this funny computer thing you talk of <laughs> then <laughs> then please contact us at uh, our website or at our email and we look forward like you can't imagine to hearing from you and till next time, same bad time, same bad channel. This is Stratosphere. And Edub. And just remember. Just because it ain't pop. Don't mean it ain't culture. Hey, we got it right this time. Yeah, cool. Had, hey, every now and then the plants align. And just remember, be good. <laughs>